If you have your Bible, would you take it and uh, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Um, We're starting a new mini-series this week, a three-part series called True North. And uh, we're going to take a look at um, Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses of that chapter. And we're going to kind of unpack those verses over the next couple of weeks and really try to get an understanding and see uh, a broader sense of what it means for us as Christ followers, for us as the church, for those of us who call ourselves Christian, what does it mean for us to, to persevere in, to persist in, and to perfect our faith? What does it mean to persevere, persist, and perfect our faith? What did the writer of Hebrews, what was he telling God's people, his, the, the early church in those days, what was he telling those people about their lives and the culture that they lived in, and how they could live their lives to perfection, to persistence, and to persevere. So we're going we're gonna to look at that over the next couple of weeks. Today we're going to start, actually we're going to look at chapter 12, verse 1 today. Just, just the first couple phrases of chapter 12, verse 1 today. We're going to put it in the context of chapter 10 and 11 and unpack that a little bit uh, for us. But the reason we're calling this series True North is because the reality is that the only way to navigate through life is by finding, understanding, and committing to a course that leads us in the direction of the life that God has intended for us. We need to not just find it, but we need to understand it and we need to commit to it. We need to commit to the course, to the orientation that God has for us in our lives so that we can find the life that God has has offered to us and wants us to enjoy. And as we just prayed a moment ago, to share into the hearts and the lives of the people that are around us. And so we're calling it, it True North to find that direction. Because we believe that God has already mapped out the blueprint for us. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus has already laid out the course direction for us who call ourselves Christian. He's already laid out the map for us that this is the way in which you should walk. Walk in my name, walk in my truth, and as you do that, you will find true life. Not just eternal life, not just a life everlasting for someday, but a life that is full and and restored and redeemed even today. God has already set the course for us through Jesus Christ. The trouble is, that many of us find it easy or, or find ourselves off course. Many of us, as we look through the history of our lives, if we spend some time looking back and reflecting on our life, many of us could say that there were seasons and there were moments and there were times in our life when we were really distracted from what God had for us, that we were really drifting in our lives, that if God said, this is the course for your life, and this is the roadmap that you are to follow, we would look back on our life and understand that we, for a period of time, we drifted. 
And we were not in line with him. And we walked in our own ways. And we walked in our own course. And we, we made our own way through life. There are times and there are seasons that for, for many of us, and for some of us, we still may be in those seasons. We still may find ourselves drifting. And when we think about God and we think about coming to church, some of us may still, even today, be wondering, what's this all about? I don't even understand what God is doing in my life. And to be honest with you, some of us, we just don't even want to be here today. We've drifted so far from God's mapped out course direction in our life that we don't understand what he's trying to do in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives. What we need to do is find ourselves back, to find a way back to that direction that God has for us, to reorient our, our lives and help us to understand what it means to live a life that is, that is directed by and set on a path that was established by Christ. That's our goal. That's our desire for this, this series and as we get into that today, that we would find in our lives true north. You know, the other day, uh, my wife and I were in Pittsburgh. We were at one of the hospitals down there and um, we had stepped out for the evening to get dinner with my sister and brother-in-law. And as we, we uh, left the hospital, we knew where we, we, knew where we were we were at Mercy Hospital over there by Duquesne University, just off Boulevard of the Allies. We knew where we were, and we knew where we wanted to go. We, we wanted to go over to Buca de Beppo over at Station Square, um, over on, on the other side of the Monongahela. So we knew where we were, we knew where we wanted to go, but as we exited the hospital, we kind of looked around and thought to ourselves, I have no clue on how to get there. Have you ever been in Pittsburgh? Have you ever driven downtown? It's not quite like Erie, right? Erie's nice grid pattern laid out. You know, you can always get from one end of the city to the other. It doesn't matter what street you're on. You'll find your way there. Pittsburgh, no dice. It's just crazy. It's just, I don't know how to, if you've never driven there, take two Advil, go downtown and just drive. It's crazy. It's just, uh, it just puts you over the edge. So here, here we are in the, in the, um, parking lot of the hospital, knowing where we were, generally speaking, knowing where we wanted to go, but not knowing how to get there. And so what I did is, is I pulled out my, uh, my trusty iPhone, fired it up and went over to the maps and typed in, this is where I'm at my location, typed in where I wanted to go over to the restaurant and hit um, directions or route. And I, I want to thank Apple this week for sending out the operating system five that I upgraded to because now I got three options of how to get there. I don't want three options. I want the one option. I want the best. So I'm looking at the map and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. How in the world? I don't even know exactly. So it says, right. So it says like, go north on this locust, go east on locust. I'm like, I have no, I don't even know what east is. I don't know where, I, I don't know the orientation around me to even take that first. We don't even know the orientation around us to take the first step. So I pulled up the other app that I have, and a lot of you probably have this too, the compass. It was great. So I fire up the compass, I, I, I get it calibrated, and I figure out, okay, well, we're, we're pointing north, so east is this, okay, we go, we take this road. 
So because I had the compass oriented with the map, I pretty much knew what direction to go. And we were on the right course. We, we chose the right course. I don't know if it was the shortest route. I don't know if it was the quickest route. It didn't take us through the strip district and see all the stuff that's down there. It didn't take us through the art district that was, you know, uh, fancier. It didn't take us through any of that. I just wanted to get from here to there, and it looked like this was the best route. We oriented our compass with the map, and we chose the direction, and we started out. And it was great, and we were turning and driving and making all the right moves until we come to a traffic light, and this was the last turn, right? We knew that if we made this turn, we would get across the river and right onto Carson Street, and we were set. But we had to make this one critical turn in the entire navigation system, And just like Pittsburgh, the way it's all set up, you come to the light and there's the road, but right next to it is another street going in the same direction. And I don't know about you, but I like signs that help me understand where to go. And for some reason, there were no signs telling me. I saw the pole, but there were no signs. So in somebody, some senior kid, his high school bedroom is the sign that I needed to tell me where to go. I don't know if his number was 25 or something, but he stole the sign. So we look at the, the only sign that was available was the street sign, the marker that said Birmingham Bridge. It was above us pointing to the right, but it wasn't definitive. It wasn't so definitive that we knew for sure, take that road, not this road. We had our map, we had our compass, we saw the sign. And I knew fairly certain that if we took that road, we would get to where we wanted to be. We needed to avoid this road. As tempting as this road was, it was right next to the other street that we wanted. As tempting as it was to take that street, I knew that we couldn't veer down that way because if we did, it would take us in a course and a direction that if you've ever been lost in Pittsburgh, it's just a nightmare to get back to just figure it out. So we didn't. We took the road that we thought, and it was perfect. Right across the bridge to Carson Street, and we were there and had a great dinner. I had a map. I had a compass. But without those two together, orienting my life, orienting those directions, we would have been driving in circles through the city. Did you know that there's a difference between true north and magnetic north? I looked on my compass there and it said, it said, pick, do you want true north or magnetic north? And I did a little bit of research and I found out that true north is the, the direction that's printed on maps that is, that is oriented to the north pole, the, the latitude, longitudinal lines that, that go to the north pole. They're, it's a fixed, it's a fixed direction. True north is always fixed. It doesn't matter what map you pick up. If you're looking for true north, it will point you in in the the right direction based on the orientation that is established. That does not change. But magnetic north, magnetic north is always changing. Magnetic north in some of the, the, the article I read, magnetic north changes up to one half to one degree every five years. So one half to one degree every five years, you have to recalibrate your compass in association with the map to make sure you're headed in the right direction. 
Because if you don't reorient your compass to the map, and you're following magnetic north, you're following something that always changes and is constantly moving and is never the same at any given point. If you've got a map that's 10 years old and you don't recalibrate it, you're not going to end up in the right spot. In fact, the one article I read said that if you're off by one degree over a 10-mile period, you will be off course 920 feet. If you're off by 10 degrees over a 10-mile period, you're, you're off course by 9,620 feet. It doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem much at the beginning. But over a long period of time, when we are out of sync, when we are not oriented correctly, when we're not calibrated to that direction that we're supposed to go. Over an extended period of time, we find ourselves drifted and so far off course that it's hard to get back. It's hard to get back on track. It's hard to get back in line with what God has for us. It's hard to get back to the place where we want to be. In a world that is filled with with confusion and changes and challenges and heartache, God is orienting our lives to a fixed path. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. But we live in a world where two paths seem to point us in the same way. And we have choices to make. We have choices to make every day of which path we're going to take. Are we going to take that that true north that we know is the right way to go, that we know for certain, Or even if we don't know with 100% certainty, everything that lines up in my life is telling me this is the way, what I know about my past, what I know about God, what I know about what He teaches and and how He guides us, lines up with true north. Or are we going to take a path that 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 is spoken to us by a culture and a world that is constantly changing and saying, go after what you want to go after, do what you want to do, as long as it feels good and it doesn't hurt other people, go ahead and take whatever path you want to go, all roads lead to the same destination. But we know that's not true. And every day we have a choice. Which path are we going to take? Which direction are we going to go? And we want to share this, this series with you because we think it's so important that we, that we orient ourselves in the early stages, that we orient ourselves so that we don't get too far off course. While the slightest deviation may seem inconsequential, protracted over a period of time, we're so far off course. Getting back is so difficult. The easiest time to change, the easiest time to make those course adjustments and get back on track is in the early stages. As soon as we feel ourselves starting to drift from from God's orientation, as soon as we start to feel ourselves getting lost in the shuffle of our world, as soon as we, we feel ourselves succumbing to the pressures that are around us to deviate from the course, as soon as we feel that the earliest that we can pull ourselves or, or reorient our life back to God's direction, the easier it's going to be. The longer we wait, 
It's not that it's impossible to get back. And it's not even that God won't welcome us back on course. God is full of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and will put us back on the right path. But there's so much time and so many circumstances and so much life that we've lived. We have to deal with all of the damage that our life has done in getting back on course the longer we wait. God has given us a a path to follow. God has oriented our lives and asks us to follow Christ for he is the way, the truth, and the life. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of this, this letter to these, these people still ca- capture in your mind an early church. Relatively speaking, this is still an early church. They're still trying to figure out what does, what does, what does following Jesus mean? Our, our entire religious system was turned upside down when Jesus died on a cross, was buried and rose again. Our entire religious system was changed and altered because of who Christ was. So these he- this, this letter to the Hebrews, they're trying to understand what does it mean to walk as a Christ follower in these days of, of what we've known. And, and the, the writer in this letter is, is walking them through what Jesus means. He's walking them through and showing them how complete Jesus is as as God himself and the Son of God coming to fulfill the promises of God. Showing the people how powerful Jesus is and all that we need for our lives. As the writer of Hebrews begins to to draw this book, this letter to a close, he is showing the people that, that we have the ability to draw near to him that we don't need to to worry about going through any other means, but we can come near to Christ. That Jesus now sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us so that we can persevere through this life that we live. Because of Christ, we can draw near to God with, with full assurance and with hope. Look at Hebrews 10, 22 and, and 23. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. This writer of Hebrews is is helping us understand that we uh, we can have full assurance as we draw near to God. We can be fully assured that as we approach God, that He is there. That as we approach God, that He hears us. That as we approach God, He will interact with us. He will speak to us. He hears what we have to say. We have full assurance. It's not some mystical hope. But we have full assurance that our God is there in our moments of trouble. Our God is there when we need Him. Our God we can draw close to because of the completeness and the power of Jesus Christ. As we encounter the trials of our faith and as we face the challenges of life, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, let us encourage each other. Let us lift each other up. 
Let us spur each other on. Let us not quit. Let us not stop. Let us not give up meeting together. But as we get together, let's encourage each other. When you meet, spur each other on. When you gather together, understand what's happening in the hearts and the lives of the people that are around you and take that opportunity to encourage them in their faith, not to give up, not to quit, not to get off track, not to stay wandering off course of what God's true direction is, but to encourage them, to help them find their way back to Him. The writer is encouraging the people that they have the opportunity to not languish in their faith, to not wander in a wilderness, to not wonder what God is all about, but to pull people back to the direction and the hope that God has for them. And he writes this in verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He's promised. Verse 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We do not belong to those who shrink back. So persevere. We do not belong to those who quit and give up in their faith, so persevere. We do not belong to those who shrink back from the challenges that they see and question their faith and walk away from God, so persevere. When you took the name Christian, you took on an identity that does not shrink back from whatever stands in your way, from whatever challenges before you. We do not shrink back. I don't know who you thought we were when you took the name Christian, but we are people who do not give up. We are not people who shrink back from the challenges. We are not people who see the the torment and the trouble and the challenges of our life and quit and give up and walk away from God. We are not a people who are to shrink back from the true north, the true path, the, 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 the design that God has for us just because it's difficult and just because it's hard and just because God calls me to something I don't want to do. We are not people who go off course and shrink back. That's not who we are. That's not the example that was set before us. With full assurance, we draw close to God. We have unswerving hope in Him. And he says in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, This faith, this faith that we're talking about, is being sure of what we hope for. And it's certain of what you don't see. Just because you can't touch it, just because you can't feel it, doesn't mean that your faith is invalid and that God won't work in your life. So don't shrink back, but persevere and press on. And then he uses the Old Testament examples. The ancients of the Old Testament, the ancient heroes of the Old Testament that these, that these people would be familiar with in their, in their 
uh, Sunday school classes and Bible studies and history readings of their faith. They would know these people. And he talks about Noah and he talks about Moses and he talks about Joseph and he talks about Enoch and he talks about Jacob. And he says, think about these people. That's what chapter 11 is about. Chapter 11 is a story about all of the ancients of the past who, who, put their hope and their faith in God and didn't quit and didn't give up and they kept pressing on and they kept persevering in their faith. And after he tells the story of those people, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, after he's pointed back to those in history, he says, therefore, and now he points to each and every one of us. Therefore, since we since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. As God inspired this author to write this letter to these people, he knew that life would be difficult for us too. He knew, he knew the challenges that we would face and the oppression to our personal faith. He knew the drama that we would experience in our own, in our own relationships. He knew that our, our marriages would be strained and that our children would wander. Some of them wandering not just from home, but from faith. He knew that, that we would have difficulty and pain. And he knew that sometimes we'd want to, we'd want to wake up and, and walk away. He knew that, we, that for some of us, for some of us, we just want to quit. We don't want to fight. We don't want to persevere. We don't want to walk through this. I, I don't want to get, I don't want to work through and see what's on the other side. I just want to quit. I just want to give up. He knew that for many of us, that's how we would feel. He knew that we'd be tempted to, to, wander off course following the whims of the world. He knew that we'd, we'd come to crossroads in our lives and we'd have to choose which way to go. And sometimes, a lot of times, we'd be tempted to go off course. But he says, don't give up. He says, run with perseverance. We are not of those who shrink back. Don't give up. Don't give up when at times get hard. Don't give up when that doctor's report comes back. Don't give up when your job is gone. Don't give up when the world's falling apart. Don't give up when your child walks out the door. Don't give up. Press on. Persevere. Stay on course with God. Stay on course with Christ. Keep your heart. Keep your faith true. Don't give up. Persevere. And he points to this cloud of witnesses is what he calls it. He refers back to chapter 11 and all the people he just talked about. And he, he calls them a cloud of, of witnesses. And he says, he says, look at the cloud of witnesses that are surrounding you. Remember them. Because we're surrounded by these witnesses, press on. Because we're surrounded by these witnesses, persevere in your faith. This cloud of witnesses that he refers to, the, the people listed in chapter 11, they're not here, we need to understand. They're not here to cheer us on. They're not sitting in the stands, waving their arms, cheering us on. They don't have their face painted. They don't have their terrible towel waving, cheering us on. 
it's in their back pocket, but they're not waving it. This is not a crowd or a group of people. This is not an audience watching an event to cheer us on. They're here for our benefit to look back to. The cloud of witnesses is just that, a group of witnesses. They're reminders to us that they too had hard lives. They had tough choices. They, had, they, they made some, some choices morally and ethically. Go back and, and look at the list of those people. And, and, and either through study this week or, or bring back to your, your memory some of the stories you know about these people from the Old Testament. They're right here in the book. Think about what their stories were. Infidelity. Prostitution. Murder, deceit, backstabbing, family infighting, coercion, manipulation, and and the list goes on. That's their story. If the E-network was around back then, there would be the true households of Israel. And it would be a a number one show. I mean, because all of that is the stuff that goes on. The people that God used to advance the kingdom were people who were broken and flawed. But they were people who didn't give up. They were people who were redeemed and restored. They were people who understood and knew the path that that God had for them, and they didn't quit. You see, when you take into account their history, They're a lot like us, except for two things. First of all, they were on the front side of God's promise. You see, many of them never saw the fulfillment of God's promise in Jesus Christ. They lived by faith on what was to come. They lived on faith with a promise that was in the future. They lived by faith on a promise that they couldn't see and probably didn't understand as clearly as you and I understand it today. But they lived by faith. And they still oriented their lives to God's way and to God's pattern. They lived on the front side of the promise and still were commended by God for the faith that they showed. They couldn't see it. They had no idea how they could even imagine it. But they said, God, if you're in this, I'm with you. If this is what you say, if this is how you've you've oriented my life, I'm walking this way. The other thing that's different is that they completed it. They're done. They've finished it. They've written their legacy. They've written their history. We are still writing ours. We're still writing our legacy that we will pass down to our our children and our family and our communities and our workplaces. We're still writing that history. They finished it. They completed it. And that's why we can look back to them and say, look at how they lived their life in light of their history, in light of the background, in light of the, the, the terrible moral and ethical choices that they made periodically veering off course. God brought them back to true north and had them walk in a way that honored him and expanded the kingdom. We're surrounded by a a cloud of witnesses who've been where we are. Scholar F.F. Bruce writes that they are not spectators watching us, but rather they, by their loyalty and endurance, have 
borne witness to the possibilities of life and faith. The possibilities of life and faith. What is possible with your life and your faith? Look at the ancients. Look how God used them. It's not so much they who look at us, but we who look to them for encouragement. These heroes of the faith, as as flawed as they were, understood that path before them. They never gave up. They wanted to. Some of them wanted to quit. Some of them wanted to give up and turn around and go back home. Some of them even, when they understood God's direction and God's call on their life, some of them even said, you know what, I get it. I get that this is where we're going and this is how things are going to work out and this is the step, God, that you want me to take. I'm all in. Here's what we're going to do. I think I've got a better plan. So for me to get from where I know I am to where you want me to be, I I know you're asking me to take this course, but I'm still going to get where you want me to be. I have faith in you and trust you, but I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to choose my way. We don't ever do that, do we? We don't ever hear God's calling and know God's voice and say, you know what, I'm all good with that, but we're going to do it this way. And what does God end up doing? Recalibrating our lives. And putting us back on course. In their deepest and darkest moments, God met them. They were flawed. They weren't perfect. But in their deepest and darkest moments, God met them right where they were. And he gave them exactly what they needed so that they would get to exactly where he wanted them to be. He parted the sea for Moses. He gave a ram to Abraham. He gave Joseph a kingdom to rule. He saved the life of a prostitute and included her in the family tree of Jesus himself. He toppled the walls of Jericho and he brought rain when Noah built an ark. God meets us in our deepest and darkest moments and provides for us exactly what we need so that we can be exactly where He wants us to be. This is what I know about us today. I don't know you intimately, but this is what I know about you today. You and me both. This is what I know. The stories of our backgrounds, the stories of our homes and and our relationships and our health and and our heartache, the stories that of the way how we that we treat others and, and interact with other people, the stories of how we've achieved our own success and how we're managing our lives, these stories, our stories, would rival the stories of those in Hebrews eleven. We're just as flawed, we're just as broken. We're just as cunning as they were. But here's the difference. We live on the backside of the promise. We live on the completed side of God's promise. We look back and see what Jesus did. We don't look ahead to what God is going to do. We look back to what Jesus did for us. 
We point to what he's already done and how he's already moved in our lives because of his completeness and his power. We point back to the promise. It's been fulfilled. It's been answered. We walk in full assurance on what has already taken place. And that's how we live in faith and that's how we move forward and that's how we move on. We live on the completed side of redemption. We see redemption and we can experience restoration with other people. Our hope is not that that he's coming for a first time. Our hope is that he's coming again. Because we've already seen, looking back, the promise fulfilled. We look forward to him coming a second time to complete what he started. And like the ancients, we've seen him meet us in our lives haven't we? If we were to stop for a moment, we've seen him meet us in our lives. In our deepest and darkest moments, God has met us with exactly what we've needed so that we could be exactly where he wants us to be. I know that's true in this room today. I know that in this room today, there are stories of healing where God has reached down in your deepest and darkest moment and He's healed you. I know that in this room today that there are stories of homes and marriages that have been restored because they've wandered so far, they finally got their course corrected and, and couples have come back to God and said, heal this marriage, heal this home. I know that Even this week, even this week, I know that he still provides work for those who are jobless and who are searching and who are looking. And in one story, he provided two jobs for somebody and he said, pick it. Take your pick. You've been faithful and you've been praying and you've been staying on course with me. Not only have I heard you, not only can you come to me with full assurance, but I'm going to give you two options. Take your pick. I know that we can have peace in the midst of brokenness. I know in this room today that He can bring calm to your confusion. And I know that His timing for our lives is perfect. In our deepest and darkest moment, He meets us exactly with what we need to get us to exactly where He wants us to be. We just need to orient our lives to His plan and His path and His direction. There's a cloud of witnesses that we point back to is encouragement that says you can do this. You don't have to give up. You don't have to quit. When life gets difficult and hard, you don't have to walk away. Are there times when God is completely confusing? Absolutely. But we're not of those people who shrink back and give up. We press on. And we persevere. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack the rest of chapter 12, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. But as we close today, I I just want to ask this question. How many of you walked in today 
ready to walk away. Ready to walk away from a relationship or ready to walk away from from family or or, or ready to walk away from, from God and just say, you know what, I'm tired, I've had it. I can't go on. Maybe today he's telling you to just persevere. To find that path to put your hope back in the one who said he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And you can find life again. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your your heart and your soul in his hands and said, God, just you need to redeem and restore this life because everything I've tried just doesn't work. Some of you maybe today for the first time need to calibrate your heart to God's chosen son. As we close this morning, my hope is that as you walk out these doors today, you will stay committed to that path that God has designed for us, no matter how hard it is, no matter how challenging it is. And that we would be people who would spur each other on and know that I can live with full assurance that when I call to God, He hears me, He's there, and He will answer.